Shall we pray? Father, we thank you, Lord, this morning. Thank you, Lord, for what we've sung, what we've prayed. We thank you, Lord, for what we've heard as well. Thank you, Lord, for the way you work in our lives. And, and Lord, just now as we look at those verses that Roger read to us, Lord, we really ask for your Holy Spirit to work in us, to speak to us, Lord, the words we need to hear, Father. And, Lord, I even want to pray for those who might decide to listen to this talk at a later date. Father God, that you would bless them. Lord, they, whoever they are, wherever they may be listening in the car or at home alone, Father God would know your love for them and your healing available for what they may be going through. And I pray a blessing on every single person, Lord, that looks at these verses with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're looking at Matthew 11, uh, as Roger read. If you, if you want to have that open in a bit, that'd be brilliant. Uh, but life is tough, isn't it? Uh, life can have very difficult moments in it. We've been thinking about brokenness uh, the last three weeks. We talked about baggage right at the beginning of our series three weeks ago. I'm sure you all remember. Um, it's a long time, isn't it? Um, but three weeks ago, we talked about baggage and we talked about how in life we often we collect. We collect all sorts of worries and emotional strains and things like guilt and regret, all those kind of things, and we drag them with us through life. And you meet people, don't you, that you can almost see the suitcase. You think, goodness, I can almost see, I can almost hear the wheels over the uh, cracks in their pavement because they've got that baggage with them. And we said really how most human beings, rather than deal with their baggage, box it up neatly as they can, knowing that at some point the suitcase will explode and trip us up. The last few weeks we've seen Jesus interacting with the broken. We've seen him coming face to face with those people that we mentioned a moment ago. And what have we seen Jesus, God's only son, do? We've seen him heal them. We've seen him accept them where they are. We've seen him reach out across all sorts of social divides to where they are. We've seen him defend them. And we've seen him, importantly, challenge them. Sin no more. And as we finish this series, I want to finish with good news and the truth. And the truth is that Christ the King, our Saviour, is able to heal. He is able to heal physically. He is able to heal emotionally. And he is, more importantly, able to heal spiritually. And the gospel, the message of the cross and Jesus' death for our sin and resurrection is the most powerful message on planet Earth. And I want to read you a story uh, of a guy called George Whitfield. Uh, Some of you will have heard of, some of you will know well, some of you may never have heard of him. He's almost the 18th century's most famous Christian that no one's ever heard of. George Whitfield um, was a, a Christian and one of the most famous religious figures of the 18th century. He preached at least 18,000 sermons. Can you imagine? I think I'm over... Well, I'll try to work out how many I've done. There's not very many compared to him. So I really need to, need to uh, get, get on with it. Um, so four services every Sunday from now on, twice a week. And so I've got to catch up. I'm well behind George Whitfield. Um, He spoke to around 10 million people across two different continents. He was a contemporary of John and Charles Wesley. He was able to speak to great crowds of people. He saw the power of God move mightily as he preached the gospel in a very clear, uncomplicated way. He spoke of new life in Christ, and people couldn't get enough of it. Actually, he was quite unconventional in the way he spoke, and many churches rejected the way he presented the truth. He was very energetic. He was very flamboyant, arms and legs all over the place, and they didn't like it in the established church. And when they shut their doors to George Whitfield, he preached in the fields where people were, just like Jesus, our Lord. God used him. And I'll read one story, and it reminds us, uh, and it will remind us, of how even the most hardened, the most broken, can be set free by the message of Christ's death 
and resurrection from the grave. And so this is part of the story. So on his way to lunch at Kingswood, just outside Bristol, on February 17th, 1739, this is George Whitfield, he saw coal miners who were called colliers coming out of the mines. These colliers were wicked and vile men. Even the hardened sailors of that day were afraid of them. Once upon being cheated out of enjoying the sight of a public hanging of a local criminal because he had committed suicide rather than been made a public spectacle, they dug up his corpse for revenge for ruining their fun. So they're a rough bunch, it's fair to say. Um, These kind of people were completely ignored by the clergy. Although their bodies might be fouled and wicked, understood George Whitfield, their souls were immortal. They could only be reached in the open air. Whitfield's good friend John Wesley had told him that preaching in the open air in the fields was a bad notion. Later, however, upon seeing the result of Whitfield's field preaching, Wesley not only changed his mind, but preached in the field himself. The miners came up out of the pits, their faces blackened with coal. Whitfield stood on a small hill. He felt afraid of what he was about to do. But if the churches would be closed to him... He should all the more go and preach like Jesus did. He pitched up his voice about a hundred yards from where they were to the group of colliers walking towards him. He called out, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The miners stopped and stared at this man holding a book who they could hear about a hundred yards away. His young voice sounded out again, Matthew chapter 5 verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The miners came closer and listened as he told them a story which made them laugh. None had ever heard of a preacher telling a joke. Most had never heard a preacher at all. About 200 men gathered as he spoke of hell as being as black as their pit and the the certainty of judgment. He talked about Jesus who was a friend of publicans and sinners and came not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. He spoke of the cross and the love of God and brushed tears from his eyes. And suddenly he noticed tears coming from the eyes of a young man to his right. These tears were forming a pale streak on his grimy face. He saw the same thing happen to to an old bent miner on his left and then more and more of them. And he said he saw white gutters made by their tears down their blackened cheeks. He said, blessed be God, I have broken the ice. I believe I was never more acceptable to my master than when I was standing beside those hearers in the open field. Those same men then invited him back the next day to speak to their friends and their family. About 2,000 people came out to hear him preach Five days later, he preached to 5,000 people. Two days after that, 10,000. A few days later, he preached at Rose Green Common to such a great multitude that it covered three acres, estimated to be 20,000 people. Same gospel, same world, same brokenness, same problems. And that's a great story. And the reason I tell you that is because, be it someone from the first century or the 18th, or the 21st, when people truly encountered Jesus Christ in a real way. They experienced new birth. They turned from their sin. When they turned from their sin and follow him, they experienced transformation and true liberty. And we'll look at those words that Roger read for us in Matthew 11, 
Verse 27 to 30, we'll just read. And I'll read them to you if you want to follow along. Jesus says, All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will, will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. These are well-known words, words that resonate with us. They're words of comfort and care. Jesus is speaking to a crowd of people, and he is offering to give them rest. And this morning, Jesus Christ is speaking to you and offering you rest. Rest for your very soul. Isn't this what people are longing for? People came, uh, the people Jesus came to, he described as being like sheep without a shepherd. The land of Israel at the time that Jesus came to was a land full of poverty. The Romans were in charge, so they oppressed the people of God. They conquered them. Society that Jesus came to was divided in all sorts of ways, along lines of race and geography and even religion. The masses that he interacted with were poor and oppressed, but on top of that, they had another oppression. The religious ruling elite, the Pharisees, oppressed them with religion as well. The Pharisees were the religious ruling class and they'd taken God's law in the Old Testament and they'd warped it into something it was never meant to be. They'd added to, or they'd expanded God's laws to make them run into the thousands. And so now rather than hearing God's law and knowing he was perfect, they were now burdened by this unrealistic expectation of perfection they could never, ever ever hope to attain. The Pharisees had developed all sorts of unreasonable laws for the people of Israel. For example, on a Sabbath, they were told they were not allowed to walk any more than two-thirds of a mile. They were told on a Sabbath they were not even allowed to look into a mirror. But on the Sabbath, they could not even light a candle. The people that Jesus spoke to had been burdened with legalism of the highest order. And so the people Jesus met were just the same as us. They had the same burdens we had. Burdens of grief and pain and guilt. But on top of that, they had this burden of trying to find God through observance of hundreds upon hundreds of unreasonable, cold, lifeless, man-made laws. God's law had become oppressive and God's people were burdened by them. In Matthew 23, Jesus is very clear of what he thinks of the Pharisees and their way of interpreting the Old Testament. I'll read this to you, verse 13. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel all over the land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. So they're really ruining people's lives. And Jesus, to this crowd, offers them an invitation. And this morning, you may be burdened yourself. You may find yourself burdened by the expectation of others. How many of us are obsessed with how we look? How many of us are obsessed with how we live? How many of us are obsessed with how much we know? Am I clever enough? Do I live in the right house, in the right area? Did I go to the right university? Am I married to the right kind of person? Do I drive the right car? Do I have the right job? It goes on and on and on. We spend our lives trying desperately to be someone we're not so that we can be accepted by people who are also trying to be someone they're not. Isn't it ridiculous? 
Why don't we be the people God wants us to be? And Jesus wants to lift that burden off of you and set you free this morning. And we say hallelujah to that. And so to that crowd and this crowd, he offers a very simple invitation. I will give you rest. That has been his mission from day one. That is what he has been anointed with the Holy Spirit to do. Liberty for the captives. Freedom for the oppressed. He offers this crowd rest. There are all sorts of There are all sorts of rest that a person can have. There's physical rest. We all long for a lay-in every now and again, don't we? There's emotional rest where we just want to think about less for a bit. Where you go off and recharge your batteries and turn your phone off, perhaps. Well, no, we don't do it. It's not lying. Anyway, but we get away from it all. And that helps us feel a bit of rest. But the rest Jesus is speaking about is deeper. It's a spiritual rest, a heavenly rest, a rest that fears nothing. And when I think of this rest that Jesus gives, I think of that image of him in the boat on Lake Galilee. He's with his disciples. He's asleep on a pillow, we're told. And a big storm comes up and the boats come... I assume doing this, or however boats go, like that, isn't it? Sorry. Is that right? Anyway, I haven't got a boat. And he's asleep. He can rest in the storm because he has that deep rest, that deep trust of God, that deep relationship with his Father. And I just think some of you here this morning are still rowing in the storm and you should be resting in the storm God may not stop it anytime soon we can't promise that and that's a wrong promise to say don't worry God will take it all away he may not this world is broken we live broken lives we make terrible mistakes we have to live with sometimes however you needn't row your way out of trouble you can rest your way out of trouble in the king's presence that is the offer he has offered each one of us So he offers it. He offers it because a sinful world never truly knows rest. Isaiah chapter 48 verse 22 says, There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. In a different version it says there is no rest for the wicked. That's where that well-known phrase comes from. Be careful when you next say that. Oh, there's no rest for the wicked, you know. Really? I don't think you should say that if you're a Christian. (laughs) You should say there's rest for the godly. That's what you should say. Lots of rest for the godly. Hallelujah. Everyone will think it's slightly odd, but it's okay. Um, They think that anyway, so you may as well just confirm it by saying very Christian things. But there's no rest for the wicked. What the Old Testament, what Isaiah is saying as he quotes God, is that when we sin because we have sinful lives and we know the sin of other people, we're often robbed of our rest. And actually, when you see people that are going through difficulties, what's the one thing they can never do? Go to bed. They're up till three in the morning, they get up at five, you get emails at all sorts of times, don't you? Because people can't rest. And I remember going to New Wine a few years ago, and uh, and people were being prayed for for healing of all types. And they asked for testimonies at the end, and one after another, people went up and said, I've had this thing, and I have not slept properly for three years. Last night, had the best night's sleep I've had in three years. And you thought, what a wonderful thing to hear. Because that's rest, isn't it? You let it go, you lay down, praise the Lord. And you fall asleep. When we sin, we are robbed of our peace. Either it be our own sin, our own deliberate choices, or the sin of other people. And so to a world that often chooses to go the wrong way, Jesus offers it an invitation, a change of direction. And this morning I wonder if any of us here need to change direction. Is the path that you find yourself on only leading you deeper into brokenness and sin? I wonder if the path you're on this morning is actually going the wrong way. Is it time to say enough is enough? I'm doing this wrong. I need to do something different. I need to go the way of Jesus 
not my way. Jesus says in verse 27, All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And that phrase, all things, all things have been given to me, in Greek is really about divine power. And this is brilliant. This underpins our entire series of talks. The reason Jesus can give us rest, the reason Jesus can heal us, is because of who he is. God's one and only son. And because he's the second person of the Trinity, because he's fully God, and in this instance fully man, he is able and has authority to forgive sin. He has the power to repair and restore even the most broken. He is able to give rest for the weary. And that rest, verse 27 tells us, is about knowing God the Father. He has made the Father known to us. Do you know, we're all built as human beings, one atom at a time, for one purpose, to know God as our Father. That is what you were built for. Most humans try desperately to deny that, but you were built for an intimate relationship with the King of Kings. That is your sole purpose. Everything else is a poor second. It may make you happy, but nothing will make you content and give you rest than knowing God as your Father in heaven. That's what rest is, knowing God and being known by him. Um, so to this audience, Jesus offers freedom from that burden of works-based religion, the oppression of self-righteousness, and he offers to lift that burden from our... Uh, sh- this is soldiers. Uh, hang on. So- how do you say it? Shoulders. Not so. Well, actually, if you're a soldier as well, Jesus also offers to lift your burden. But that's, I don't know if there's any soldiers here. So, shoulders. He offers to take it off your shoulders and to give you that healing and that transformation. And that's really important. Um, but actually, we need to be, have it replaced by a different burden. Not a burden um, when Jesus offers to give us um, freedom. It's not freedom from everything. He offers to replace our burden with Christ-likeness, with the challenge to follow him. So how can we know the rest of Jesus? How can we put down that baggage we talked of three weeks ago? How can we let go of what dogged us for so many years? Well, there are just a couple of things Jesus says in these few short verses. The first is, come to me. The first thing he says is, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened. What does that mean? It means exactly what it says on the tin, doesn't it? Change course. If you want to know the rest of God this morning, you have to make a change of course in your life. You have to say sorry for things you've done deliberately are wrong. But you have to turn away from what you are doing and walk towards where Jesus is. It means praying to Jesus, praying to the King, being open. So often we choose to stay broken. We can choose to stay broken or choose to be healed of our brokenness. And in Greek, that phrase, come to me, is really come to me now. Some people, even here, I suspect, have been putting off walking towards Jesus for a later date. I have no idea why. Do you think the place that's breaking you up is going to make you whole all of a sudden? No, it isn't. You have to turn and walk towards Jesus Christ. And what might that turning and coming to Jesus look like? It might look like sitting down with someone you trust who is a Christian and sharing what's broken you, what you've done, what's been done to you perhaps, and praying together, together, praying to the king of kings it might be making that decision to make jesus christ your lord and savior for the very first time that is a coming back to jesus it might be simply that when you pray you name what it is you've done before jesus knowing that he already knows saying lord this is who i am lord i am bitter 
Lord, I'm a bit nasty. Lord, I'm a massive gossip. Lord, I look at things I shouldn't. Lord, I did this, I did that, I did this, I did that. People did this to me, Lord. This is how I feel. Being honest with the king, saying it just between you and Jesus, I believe is a part of coming back to him. Also, maybe it looks like acknowledging situations that you continually put yourself in that are unhealthy and that you know actually you didn't stop doing and saying, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm no longer going there because that is killing me. I'm going over here instead. Maybe this morning all you need to say to Jesus is, I'm never going there again. And I'm going to make sure I haven't got time to go there because I'm going to do something else. I'm going to go there instead. Second thing Jesus says is take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. What is this yoke? I'm sure you all know. Um, it's like the, a bit of wood, a bit of stick that goes across people's shoulders. You often see it in other countries in the world. And you might have two buckets or two bags either side. And people carry loads on their shoulders um, as they walk along with their yoke. And Jesus says, take my yoke upon me, uh, upon you. Um, he says, my burden is light. You'll find rest for your soul. I wonder this morning if you're carrying too heavy of a weight in your life. I wonder if you're unbalanced in your life. Are you putting too much energy into one thing or you're allowing guilt or something to really weigh you down one side? Are we balanced this morning? Do you feel like you're morphing into someone you don't even like, let alone other people? Are our marriages balanced? Are we good husbands and good wives? Or is it unbalanced? One of us rule the roost and the other one just get on with whatever I want to do. Are we balanced? Do we treat our other halves fairly and well? Are we equal in the sight of Christ in our relationships, all of our relationships? Are our priorities correct? Are we filling one bucket because we want more of that and less of that, but we find ourselves slowly wearing out on the right-hand side? Are we chasing the dreams the world offers, offers us rather than the priorities of the coming kingdom of God? Are we living for the approval of a sinful system in this world that is ultimately going to wear out and be thrown away, the Bible says? Or are we seeking to live in such a way that when we stand before God on that day of judgment, he will say, well done, well done. Are we building reputations, bank balances? Are we laying burdens on other people that we say we love because we are unbalanced ourselves? That's something to think about. So how can we be burden-free? Well, the third thing Jesus says is, learn from me. Learn from me. The first step, of course, is to go to Jesus. And actually, often when you come to church, you pray with someone, you pray on your own, you may experience that healing touch, that moment where you think, I feel unburdened, hallelujah. You may cry, you may laugh, whatever it might be. But there's something else that needs to happen afterwards. Because it's good to pour your heart out. It's good to have God come close to you and heal you in that moment. But it's no good if Monday morning you go back to the same old habit that broke you in the first place. Along with the healing of God needs to come a godliness, a Christ-likeness. Rest comes from Christ-likeness that lasts. We're called to live like Jesus, to be like him. And I'm convinced that so many people are so desperate to be set free from their baggage. They come and they pray and they soon return to their old lives, their old ways again and again and again. So two things need to happen this morning if you want to know the healing of Jesus every day. You need to become obsessed with him. 
obsessed with the life of Jesus Christ. You need to read more about what he did than any other person on telly or some footballer or whoever else you might admire. If you've got autobiographies of people like Alex Ferguson and anyone like that, that's brilliant. Lots of things to learn, of course. Not as much from him, more of Mauricio Pochettino, but we'll get there later. Um, Although not after the weekend, but anyway. Um, But it's good. Lots of things to teach. But you more trying to emulate these men and women or are you actually thinking Jesus is the best bloke who's ever lived? I'm going to be like him. He's become obsessed with his example. Are you facing temptation? What did Jesus do? Are you facing um, corruption? What did Jesus do? Are you facing opposition? What did Jesus do? What did he do? What did he do? What did he do? Become obsessed with his life. And then number two, live it out in your own. Live it out in your own. Change direction. George Whitfield said, In the place of sorrow, news of Christ can refresh the soul. So let me tell you, there is no amount of brokenness that Jesus Christ cannot heal. And there will always be an element of baggage handling. None of us will ever be baggage-free, I'm afraid. But God's grace is sufficient for you. We can't always choose what cross we carry, but we can choose to follow Jesus whilst carrying that cross. So I want to pray. I want to ask you all to stand up, if you don't mind. And then perhaps we'll just sing, I love you, Lord, and then we'll have communion. But let's pray together. And just in a moment of quiet, why not just name where you feel most broken this morning? And maybe it's something you're deliberately doing, and you know you shouldn't be, and you know it's a sin, and you know God keeps saying to you, stop, stop, stop. And you say, no, no, no. Maybe just in this quiet say, Lord, this is me. This is who I am. Or maybe you've been broken by someone else. Maybe you need just to say, Lord, this is how broken I actually am. Please repair me. Maybe you just need to ask for help this morning. But there is not one single person here who cannot be repaired by the King of Kings. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. Let's have a moment of quiet and then I'll pray. Father God, we just lift up, Lord, everything we've said these last three weeks, or four weeks now. Lord, I believe that this has been of you. I believe you've wanted, Lord, some of what's said to have been said. But Lord, it isn't just about words that come out of one person's mouth. It's about what your spirit has been saying to each one of us. And Lord, I know that you challenge each of us. Lord, you challenge me. Father, we acknowledge our brokenness this morning. Lord, we pray that we would be brave enough to put the mask down and just say, at least in your presence, Lord, this is who I am. This is where it hurts. This is what I've done. This is what's been done to me. And Lord, I pray for every single person in this church, or whether they're with us this morning or somewhere else. Father, I ask for healing. I ask for a healing that runs deeper than the surface. Father, we pray for physical healing for those that need it. Of course we do. But Lord, we pray for that emotional, spiritual, deep down healing. I pray Lord, that you would give that promise rest. That Lord, you would challenge those of us, Lord, that come for prayer and go back to that problem place that we will be determined to be like Jesus, that we can't decide what cross we bear, but we can decide where we walk with it and what we do with it. You call us to take up our cross and follow you. And this morning, Lord, I believe you're calling all of us to walk as close to you as we can, to be like you, to follow you. 
and to allow you to move in our lives. Please move, I pray, Lord. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.